Hello, Saints. This is Pastor Brian Wattenbarger, Body of Christ Church. And I got to be honest, there's been something weighing on my heart for some time. It keeps me awake at night. <laughs> I've got several people praying for me, telling me you can't control what happens with everybody, and you can't make other people's problems your problems, and you can't worry about everybody. But the fact is, is that while I appreciate all this well-meaning uh, commentary, God made me a shepherd for a reason, and we are held to account. And it just, my heart hurts when I see social media, and I see things in the news, and I see just things out on the street, people being ugly to each other and even Christians squabbling and being ugly to each other and judging other people and acting holier than thou, but in, in, on one side, uh, you know, but on the other side, just letting the devil run rampant. And it's not good for them. It's not good for their souls. It's not good for the church. And it's not what Christ wanted or the way he set things up. And so, you know, I, I had written this sermon and titled it, So You Think You're Going to Heaven. And I, I had shelved it for a while, uh, just thinking, well, it's just, it's just too harsh. It's, it's, it's not right, but. I've been praying to God and I asked God, I said, what's the most loving thing I can do for people right now? And he said, pull that message off the shelf. And so uh, here it goes. <laughs> you know, one of the major problems today, <clears throat> especially with the Unitarian movement, you know, this idea that all uh, people go to heaven, there is no hell, or there's more than one way to get to heaven. The problem is that the People and churches have watered down the concept of hell. Preachers are soft peddling it. The congregations love to spout out all the time the need to watch for wolves in sheep's clothing. You know, we read that in Matthew. And yet, they happily refuse to test the ones that sit and they sit and listen to every day or every week. They'll sit right in front of a, a wolf in sheep's clothing and happily ingest the message. Why? Well, he makes, he makes me feel good about myself. He doesn't judge my actions or convict me. You know, we're not supposed to judge. He isn't all fire and brimstone. He gets the times we're in. You know, the, the service is, is wonderful. It stirs my emotions. I love the music. I, I just, I, I, I think that he doesn't get too churchy. He's not in the Bible so much. How do you think this makes God feel? Who is it you think you're worshiping? We worship a supernatural being that created all things and deserves and desires our fellowship with us, but demands our obedience and our worship. And try as I might, I cannot find in the New Testament where Christ did not agree with that. You know, we mollify ourselves by saying Christ is all about love, so he would agree with this or that. But 
But Christ is God, and God never changes. Christ said multiple times that the scriptures are written about him, that from Moses and the prophets, everything was expounded about him, that he came to fulfill scripture and the law and the prophets. And at the time that he said all this, this was the Old Testament. That's right. The scriptures were the fire and brimstone, hold you accountable, punish the wicked and ungodly Old Testament. That was Christ then. That is Christ now. He provided a means for our salvation that eliminated the need to continue to sacrifice. And he did this in order to provide salvation for the world and not just Israel. But it's still the same God. He still demands allegiance to the Father. He still demands obedience. He still says, not just baptize all nations in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, but teach them to obey my commandments. If you need proof, look no further than Luke 24, 27. John 5.39, John 5.46, and Luke 24.44. You know, we got to keep things in perspective. When I was a paramedic, I was sitting in the crew room. Uh, it, was a, it was actually the, the, hosp- the ER break room that we were using as a crew room. And so we were filling in our, I was filling in my, uh, my MARF report, my Missouri Ambulance Report form. We had paper forms then, so everything was long process. And uh, I'm filling this form out, and an ER doc and a uh, resident happened to walk in uh, on break, and I heard them talking, and they talked about a, uh, a code that they had run recently, code meaning a, a cardiac arrest, a patient that had died. And the doctor says, yeah, I, uh, I was able to save him. But you know what gets me? He says, I make $225 an hour. This is back in uh, 98. I make $225 an hour, he said. I saved that man in 30 minutes. I only made $112. And I just had to chuckle to myself. And they looked at me and so what what do you think's so funny? I said, You only made hundred and twelve dollars. I said, You realize if I'd saved that man's life and I've I've saved plenty of codes, I said, if I saved that man's life, I would have made about fifteen dollars. It puts it in perspective. You know, people that have money, they still feel sorry for themselves, they still feel poor. There are people out there right now, those of you that are listening to this, you know, some of you are making a lot of money. Some of you are making only uh, $2,000 a month. Some of you are making $1,500 a month. Uh, And thinking that you're poor, that you need uh, more financial security. You probably still got a smartphone. You probably still got nice clothes. You probably still got a decent car. Um, 
although many people in society today would gladly uh, let the house payment run late in order to keep that cell phone. Um, that's how uh, far we've sunk into the into the social media and gaming world. But the point is, is that you have these things, and you think you're poor. But now let's keep it in perspective. Let's go to some nations in Africa or Ethiopia, you know, some of these third world countries where they're living literally on 3% of what you are at the $2,000 mark a month. They're making $2 a day. And so at $60 a month, they don't have shoes. They have dirt floors if they, you know, they, they, they live in a hut that they had to make. They have no power, no smartphones, no cars, not even a bicycle. And we say we're poor? Yet there are many listening to this podcast who would not deign to bend over and pick up even a quarter if you saw it on the ground, as you would feel it's of no value. Oh, I, I only make $2,000 a month, but that quarter is not going to help me any. Yet a third worlder would look at us and just be amazed. How amazingly rich we are here in America. We are so rich that money just lies around on the street. <laughs> that money just lies on the ground in our parking lots. We just have money just everywhere. You know, Revelation 2.8 begins Christ's letter to the church at Smyrna. And we read this, uh, and it says, and, and to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, The first and the last who was dead and has come to life. So we're talking about the resurrected Christ. I know your tribulation and your poverty, though you are rich. In other words, I know you're suffering. I know that you're poor. Physically, worldly, you're poor. But you are rich spiritually. And the slander by those who say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you're about to suffer. Okay? So he's talking about these people who feel like they're poor. But he's saying, you're rich. You still hold fast to, to me. You still follow me. You still preach the word. You still love God. You still put God first. You're, you're my people. You're rich. You're building up riches in heaven, right? We're supposed to store up riches in heaven, not things on earth where moth and rust corrupt and, and eat. This is a third world country mentality. They think they're poor. They know they're poor, worldly, but yet you will find no greater faith than in some of these people. They find joy just in living. They find joy just in the little things because that's what they have. Now contrast this to the letter uh, in Revelation 3.14 to Laodicea. To the angel of the church of Laodicea write, the amen, the faithful and the true witness, the origin of the creation of God says this, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. 
So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have no need of anything, and you do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire. In other words, buy from him uh, riches in heaven built in the trials and tribulations that, that, that we would go through. So that you may become rich, and white garments that you may clothe yourself and shame your, and the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed. So to the one who overcomes, he'll grant to sit with him on his throne. But to the ones that don't, he's going to spew, spew them out. This is the church in America and any other rich Christian uh, populated nation people that that think that they're that they're they're wealthy or well off or or that you know they're striving for the world and the riches of the world and so they have no need of true devotion to God oh i'm not saying that people in the american church don't have true devotion to God at least they think they do but look at the disparity Look at the difference. We are so much, I mean, we're so described by this letter to Laodicea. This is so America. Smyrna is so third world. And Smyrna has nothing bad said about it. And Laodicea is threatened by Christ himself. Folks, there are many of you out there that think you're poor. Many of you think, well, I only make two thousand a month. I'm 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 poor. I don't make what my neighbor makes at four thousand a month. First of all, he's your neighbor, which means you're in a house in the neighborhood. You're already way ahead of these people in the third world countries. But the other thing is is that you have the ability to take care of yourself. Even if you're living check to check, you have the ability you have a check. You know, you have money. You're rich. And I'm not saying that to make you feel better. Because it's a disadvantage. Unless you're homeless, and, and I mean homeless not by choice, unless you're homeless not with smartphones and designer clothes and things like that, unless you're truly homeless and poor, you're rich. Worldly rich. But what has that done to our faith? Your wealth is a disadvantage. Matthew nineteen sixteen through 26 talks about the rich young ruler. And someone came to him and said, Teacher, what good things shall I do so that I may obtain eternal life? And he said to them, and he, and he said to him, Christ says to him, Why are you asking me about what is good? There is only one who is good. But if you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Then he said to him, Which ones? That's kind of a stupid question, isn't it? Which commandments should I keep? Well, God gave you all of them. Keep them all. But Jesus says, he entertains him. He says, You shall not commit murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give a false testimony. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
And the young man said, all these I have kept from my birth. What am I still lacking? So he's like, I've, I've done all the legal stuff. And Jesus says, if you want to be complete, go and sell all your possessions, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. But when the young man heard this statement, he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much. You see, the more you have, the harder it is to be holy, the harder it is to get into heaven. Christ said as much. He says, truly I say to you, it will be hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Of course, the disciples said, well, then who can be saved? And Christ says, well, with people, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And that's true. If we follow him, if we do what he says, if we follow his heart, if we change our heart, sorry, in Luke 19, 1-10, we hear about another rich guy. His name's Zacchaeus. He entered Jer Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through, and there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was and was unable because of the crowd, because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree in order to see him, for he was about to pass through that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your house. Well, you can imagine. I mean, here's the Lord and Savior who's done all these miracles, who's proven himself to be holy and, and the Son of God. And so he's excited. He, he, he hurries down to come out of the tree and... And, and received Christ gladly. He was so ecstatic. He hurries down out of that tree. He's just so glad that God has, has shown favor on him. But when, it, when, when the people saw it, they all began to grumble, saying, Christ is going to be a, a, the guest of a man who is a sinner. But Zacchaeus stopped, and he said to the, to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions will I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. He's like, I, I just want, I just want you. I, I will, I will give, I will give my riches away. I'll give it to the poor. I will take care of other people. Anybody I've wronged, I will make restitution four times as much. Just, just don't forsake me. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Christ wants these rich people just as much as he wants the poor. <clears throat> and he knows, he's already said how hard it's going to be for them to get into heaven for us to get into heaven. But it, ha it can be done. He doesn't say the rich people won't get into heaven. He says they, it, it's hard for them. We've got to be buying gold tried in the fire. 
we've got to we've got to deal with our with our trials and tribulations. We're too comfortable. We're too safe here. Now, I know you look at the news and you say, "Well, that's not true," but it's true. We're too safe. The enemy has chosen this tactic to make us spiritually soft and lukewarm. The devil knows our scripture all too well. Unfortunately, many, and I would argue most of you don't. He teaches us to call evil good and good evil, to walk the slippery slopes of sin that we think aren't too bad. But he also teaches us to minimize God, to put more value in things than in him. And how do you think God feels about this? He tells us right there in Revelation 3, I love you, I rebuke you, but if you don't quit putting more importance on things, I will spit you out. What do you think that means? Some minor earthbound disadvantage or punishment? The readers of this letter knew exactly what it meant. Eternal damnation, but we choose not to believe in that either. The devil has really put his claws in the church. We say things like, it's the way the world works. Everyone else strives for things. Even the clergy do it, and that's true. Can a rich person get into heaven? Of course, Zacchaeus did. But what did he do in order to accomplish it? He knew God was more important than stuff. He was so excited to be chosen by Christ that he gave up his wealth then and there willingly to follow Christ. And he did it in a way that helped others. You know, the widow and the poor is mentioned so many times in both Old and New Testament that it is clearly an important subject to God. And yet, I'm trying to raise $5,000 to help people in our community and I can't get past $400? Why? Because people put too much value on things. And that's a tragedy. Because God sees that and he sees that in your heart. Look at the selfish, decadent, sinful turn of our nation. It's been slow and steady in decline. This, too, is a tool of the devil. Listen to what C.S. Lewis said in his book, The Screwtape Letters, because I think this is a poetic and perfect way of seeing the devil in action. Here's two demons talking about how to ruin people. So Screwtape, a senior demon, advises Wormwood, a junior tempter, that in trying to ruin a decent religious person, it often works best not to start by aiming for extreme evils, but instead simply to get the person attached to some respectable good things and make those things the supreme desire of his heart rather than God. In other words, to shift the focus from God to stuff. Focus his prayers on earthly desires. Make him proud. Make him think the world by he sees around uh, is all that matters. Make him think the world is the most important thing. Lead him into sins that seem small, not grand, and gory crimes. So we don't have to make somebody murder. We just have to get them to love money. So here's Screwtape talking to the junior demon. Doubtless, like all young tempters, you are anxious to be able to report spectacular wickedness. But do remember the only thing that matters is the extent to which you separate the man from the enemy, i.e. God. It does not matter how small the sins are, provided that their cumulative effect is to edge the man away from the light and out into the nothing. 
Murder is no better than cards if cards can do the trick. Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one. The gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. The devil wants us to walk a road without signposts. To love a world without standards. And to end up in hell without any hope. Along the way, Lucifer doesn't care what we love most, as long as it's not God. Anything, literally anything in this world will do if we love it more than God. But even as Satan tries to lead us down the broad, smooth road with no signposts, God keeps putting up signs. He keeps putting up signposts to point us to the narrow way of Christ. He keeps putting people in your life trying to tell you the message. Christian, don't be stubborn and keep going for the soft stuff and keep going for the comfortable stuff. Christ set it up the way he wanted it in the first century. Don't think we can improve on it. Entertainment is not worship. Love of the world is not love of God. When we love anything in place of God, he keeps warning us, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Have you been committing spiritual adultery? Have you chosen a fatal friendship with the world that makes God your enemy? Lastly, let me talk about the government, because we love to blame our leaders for the state of the world. But let's not forget that God chooses our leaders. Romans 13 says, Every person is to be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause of fear for doing good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise for the, from the same. For it is a servant of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing. The government does not bear the sword for nothing. The government does not bear the sword for nothing. What is the sword? Military, death penalty, punishment, courts, that kind of stuff. For it is a servant of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. Understand, it doesn't say the government doesn't at times act evil. It doesn't say that the government can't be evil. But regardless, it is always a servant of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. God uses people, and he will use governments. That's why he sets them up. If he sets up an evil administration, he's doing it for his purpose, but we still have to honor that administration. Therefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes for, ruler, for rulers or servants of God devoting themselves to this very thing. Pay to all what is due them, tax to whom, uh, tax, to whom tax is due, custom to whom custom, respect to whom respect, honor to whom honor. Does this mean the people of the government are good? Not at all. Many would call evil the people in our current administration, but they're still a tool of God's will. You have to get out of the mindset that God wants you to be comfortable. 
or have a good problem-free life. Just because a government is moving along smoothly doesn't mean you are living your best life in Christ. It doesn't mean you're following God's will. God didn't want that for you necessarily. In fact, Christ himself promised the opposite. But it's adversity separates the wheat from the chaff. It's the, it's the fire of, of persecution, the fire of tribulation and trials that we're supposed to buy gold refined in. Don't be the chaff, because then you're burned up in the eternal fire. Be the wheat, doing good even in the face of opposition, even, even in the face of evil government, even in the face of punishment or death. It is the only true way to God. You're justified by faith. But Christ himself promises that your heart determines your salvation. If you have snuck in the gate, so to speak, you are not saved. If you backslide or turn your back on God until you reconcile that, you're not saved. Christ tells us this clearly. We love to go through and try and find loopholes. Only when you give your heart fully to Christ are you saved. And when you do that, you will not choose to be lukewarm. You will be excited like... Zacchaeus, to give up your stuff just to be in the presence of Christ. I have lost sleep over this, folks. I have studied scripture cover to cover and the loopholes people have created in this country and others like it to justify their worldly idolatry simply do not exist. I ask God to show me how to love you best and this message is the result. We do no one any good by dancing around the subject, by soft-peddling hell, or by seeking to avoid offending someone and their misguided beliefs. God will not have people in heaven who are not fully devoted to him, who do not worship him above all people and things, and whom he cannot rule. He will spew them out. I do not want my Lord and Savior to look at me in disgust and say, Ooh, I'm going to spit you out. Your actions make me want to vomit. You make me sick. To my stomach. And that's what he's saying in the letter to Laodicea. If you're not hot for me, the, the, the fire burning within you, if you're not cold and determined in your faith, but you're in the middle, lukewarm, halfway, gonna gonna have a foot in the world and a foot in, in, in heaven you're not making it to heaven I'm going to spit you out I want to hear enter into my rest good and faithful servant folks little things isn't enough paying homage and lip service isn't enough <coughs> doing things when it suits you and is convenient for you and then doing them uh, just as an homage to Christ and then turning around and going back to your selfish ways that's not going to get you anywhere if you're saved then you have the Holy Spirit in you which means then you have a heart for God you still can resist him don't resist him I say this 
out of love because I'm not judging anybody. I don't judge people. I judge actions. The Bible tells us to do that. It doesn't say don't judge. It says don't judge people. That's what Christ was saying. Don't judge people. He's also saying don't judge God. Because with what measure you measure, so will be used to measure you. Right? But we have to be good judges of, of, of right behavior and wrong behavior so that we don't fall into any traps and that we can pull other people out of them. Folks, I love you. And I want as much company in heaven as I can get. And I am not immune to this stuff. I fail in a lot of these things too. And I am doing my level best to make sure that my heart is pure. Christ says, Be holy as your Father in heaven is holy. Well, let's do that. Well, that's all I got for now. Uh, let's bow our hearts, Heavenly Father. We just... We, we are so grateful for the, the salvation you have provided and, and the, the gifts that you, you provide for our benefit and our salvation. And these aren't always uh, worldly gifts, but gifts of the Spirit, gifts of our, our heart and our devotion. And Father, we, just, we, we come before you humbled and, and grateful for for just keeping us in the fight, keeping us alive and keeping us in, in, in the, the battle to, against the evil one and the ability to take care of one another and try and draw other people up out of the world and into the Spirit. God, just give us a heart for you and give us an ability to not show worldly behavior, but to show... Christ-like behavior, the behavior that your Son taught us and the behavior that you would have of us as ambassadors in your kingdom. In Christ's name we pray, amen.